Amen. If you have a Bible uh, here tonight, turn with me uh, to Judges chapter 3, and then we're going to go into Judges chapter 4. Uh, tonight, the first four judges are mentioned, including Deborah. And so there's a lot to cover, so let's get into uh, Judges chapter 3. Uh, the nations that were still remaining uh, in the promised land. And God is going to use some of these against the nation of Israel. Seems hard to understand. But whatever God uses, it's for his glory, for his kingdom. And you can go through scripture and see how many times he used a pagan nation, a heathen nation, uh, to speak to his people. And before we even get into the study, I want you to think. The times that God has spoken to you, maybe you have uh, meandered, maybe you have backslidden, maybe you were not walking with God like you were supposed to. And then all of a sudden, these little trials, these little fires, and these little uh, coincidences that are happening in your life. And many times, uh, a non-believer will get into your face, and, and then they'll speak to you. Uh, so you're a Christian. How come you're going through all this? And, and it begins to minister to you. This was the children of Israel. They were in desperate sin sometimes. And God would use a pagan nation, a heathen nation, to speak to them. And so look at Judges 3. Look at verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test. Mark that down. Listen to the word. That he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. Speaking about the next generation now of Israelites, one of the things I look for in, in God in my life is when he's testing me. And it doesn't have to be a severe test, but God does test those that love him, and you will be tested. Uh, go back to Job chapters 1 and 2. That man was tested. Look at verse 2. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. This new generation didn't understand it. And so God was going to use this to equip them. At least those who had not formally known it. There would have been a multitude of Israelites that had not known war. Look at verse 3. And this is the, the enemies that are going to deal with Israel, or Israel will deal with them, namely five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites, who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, uh, from Mount ba Baal, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath. And so these are heathen nations. And again, when I first read these years ago, I struggled with it, that God would use a heathen people, that God would use a pagan people, nations, to judge his people. And that's exactly what God is doing. He's going to do that is. Look at verse 4 now. And they were left that he might test Israel by them. This is the second time that the word test comes up. He says, to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. And so I need to ask you a question, and I need to ask myself a question. Does God test me? Does God test you? Do we go through testings in our lives? Does God use these things to see how our reaction is? You're at work. You're singing praises to the Lord. And everybody looks around and goes, man, that guy really taking this religious stuff serious. Then somebody gets in your face, and all of a sudden, the Christian song is put to the side, and maybe you begin to curse. I've seen this in the workplace. And the first thing the non-believer says, they'll come up to the other Christian, hey, I thought he was a believer. I thought she was a believer. And so there are testings in our lives. Notice now in verse 5, thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their uh, sons, and they served their gods. Notice there, there's always a small g there, 
uh, to give us the insight. But I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says we're not to be uh, unequally yoked with a non-believer. And so this is exactly what the children of Israel were doing. And in the Old Testament, the laws were even stricter. And so when you dabbled in this area, then uh, things began to happen to you. And then you go, God, why is this happening? I, I thought she loved me. I thought I loved her. And then all of a sudden she has you building or, you know, let's say idols or some type, type of altar. That's exactly what happened to Solomon. He married so many foreign women, he got into big trouble. Now, we're going to begin to speak about the judges. But I want to give you a little more background as we gave some last week. Concerning Old Testament judges, they were considered military heroes or deliverers who led the nation of Israel against their enemies during the period between uh, the death of Joshua and the establishment of kingship. During the periods of the judges, if you're taking notes, from 1380 B.C., to 1050 B.C., uh, the government of Israel was loose, a loose confederation of tribes gathered about uh, their central shrine. And so they hung around the central shrine, that is, was the Ark of the Covenant, without a human king uh, to guide them. Remember that prior uh, to, to this, they had Moses and they had Joshua. Caleb was not a leader. Caleb was a follower or the right-hand man of Joshua. And so then the people tended uh, to rebel and fall into worship of false gods. Again, small g, time and time again. Write these two verses down. Judges 17, 6. Judges 21, 25. And we read, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the nation of Israel. And could I include many in the United States of America? And they claim to be Christian. I mean, we're a Christian nation. But listen to the text again. This is what the nation of Israel, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, I know what the Word of God says, but I think God's going to forgive me and I'm going to do this. That's exactly what they were doing. So, the book of Judges describes these chaotic times. That's what we're going to see as we get into chapters uh, 3 and 4. Uh, to punish the people, God would send four nations or tribes to oppress the Israelites. And so I needed to share that little introduction of what the purpose of the Judges were. But I want to include ourselves. If we as a nation, the United States of America, uh, does not repent, listen to this, who or what is God going to use against America? According to the stats, I read this morning in Google, over 55 million children have been aborted since 1973. You don't think that has to be answered to? And what about now? What's the big push? Same-sex marriage. And we know various states that have made it a law. Somebody's going to have to answer to that. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And so let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 7. Othaniel is the first judge. This would have been Caleb's nephew. The, the name Athaniel in the Hebrew means powerful one. In verse 7, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and, and the Asherahs. These were foreign gods. Now, the Asherahs in the King James, uh, if you have a King James, they use the word groves. Now, this was a, a Canaanite goddess called Ashtarte uh, from the Assyrian goddess Ishtar. Usually the stem of a tree was carved. It would have still been planted, and they would worship it. And sometimes there would be many of these stems, and so they called them the groves. It was a sex goddess. 
Israel was involved. Look at verse 8 now. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the, the hand of Cushan, uh, uh, Rithiahim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan, Merimethem. Forget it, Bob. Eight years. Eight years. Why? Why would they do this? Why does the United States of America, why do we do the things that we do? Think about these things now. The names of false gods, which these translate out to, oppressed and they led to idolatry. That's exactly what it did to the children of Israel. How many times did God warn them? How many times did God warn their forefathers? How many times did God give instructions? Plus, they had the Old Testament parchments. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. What about the United States of America? We're basically a young nation compared uh, to the rest of the world. Approximately 238 years. What was the purpose of leaving England back in the day? A freedom of religion. They wanted to leave the bondage of the king of England. And they wanted to serve God. The Puritans wanted to serve God with the scriptures say. The first books that were taught was the Bible. The first teachers were pastors. We've come a long way. Look at verse 9 now. When the children of Israel cried out uh, to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Same thing he did uh, when they cried out uh, 400 plus years of bondage. God sent Moses. The Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Athaniel, the son of Canaz, uh, Caleb's younger brother. Translation also gives us that he's the nephew. And listen to what God does now. When he lifts somebody up, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord's deliverance uh, of Cushan, and his last name, uh, the king of Mesopotamia, uh, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan and his last name. Why? Why? Athaniel sought the Lord. Listen to this. Athaniel was called of God. Athaniel was anointed by God. Now, many times these guys were called. Uh, many times they were anointed by God. And yet they had the freedom. I mean, uh, when, when you begin to think about it, we can do what we want. Even though we have the scriptures, even though we have the calling, I cringe every time I hear that a pastor has fallen. I cringe every time I hear uh, it's a pastor of Calvary Chapel. It happens just like any other denomination. And it hurts. And it hurts. And so it's nothing new under the sun. We need to take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Athaniel, look at verse 11. Uh, so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Athaniel, the son of Canaz, uh, died. Now, 40 generally is a time of generation. But also in Scripture, the number 40 is a time of judgment. And so Ehud uh, becomes the second judge, and his name means strong in the Hebrew. I like to give you the Hebrew names sometimes, their meaning, because it just fits uh, their calling. In verse 12, and the children of Israel again uh, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, would you please notice when you read that God did, did these things? God strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, his own people. <laughs> when we fall short of God's commandments, when we fall short of his call in our life, we literally bring judgment upon ourselves. Now, uh, I, I've seen where God will give you a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, and the list goes on. 
That's the God that we serve. Why? Because he loves us so much. But sooner or later, there's that time when somebody has to answer. Somebody has to pay the bill. And I'm talking about uh, the sin nature. There has to be repentance. And so this was the children of Israel. In verse 13, then he gathered to himself the people of Amnon and Amalek, and they went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of the Palms. The city of the Palms was Jericho. It's interesting because back in Joshua chapter 6, uh, Jericho was destroyed. It was leveled. It was rubble. But most likely, these are the plains of Jericho. Jericho was rebuilt later by King Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16. So the children of Israel served Eglon, a king of Moab, 18 years. 18 years. I looked at those numbers, and we're going to see other numbers. How could you keep going? Where's the repentance? You know, the crops are failing. The herds are failing. You know, children were probably dying at birth. Grasshoppers. Different things that would happen. And you throw your hands up. Why is this happening to us? They're called wake-up calls many times. And, you know, I'm looking at these passages in the Old Testament. And they point to the cross, obviously. God would make a way of escape through his son, Jesus. But what about those in... Uh, in the United States of America, they know the scriptures. And yet they're ignoring them totally and completely. And it's getting worse and worse. (laughs) 18 years. The sin continued. There was no repentance. In verse 15, but when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, finally, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, uh, Ehud, the son of Gerah, uh, a Benjamite. Now, the Benjamites were uh, known as the fighters of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, Paul the Apostle, Saul of Tarsus, he was a Benjamite. But notice that Ehud, a left-handed man, by him the children of Israel sent tribute or, or a gift to Eglon, king of Moab. And in his, the Hebrew again, his name is Strong. He's left-handed. But you're going to see something interesting. This man was just as good left-handed as he was right-handed. When I was a kid, I admired softball players because I wanted to pitch just like them. My uncle was teaching me. And there was two brothers in the, in the community, the Carrasco brothers, and they were ambidextrous. They could throw with either hand. And the surprising thing, they were good. They were good. Now, those of you that think you're pretty good throwing right-handed, and I would venture to say if you work at it, you can throw the ball pretty good. Well, then turn around and try to throw it left-handed. Don't forgive me, ladies, but you're going to look like a girl. (laughs) Forgive me. Because I know there's some girls that are better than guys. (laughs) But this guy's left-handed. But God is still going to use him. And it's just amazing the things that God does. Notice that it says at the bottom of verse 15, by him the children of Israel sent tribute or a gift to Eglon. And so this guy was something else. Now we don't know how he lost his hand, probably in some kind of a battle, but he was just as effective and you're going to see it. In verse 16, now Ehud uh, made himself a dagger And it was double-edged and a cubit in length, about 18 inches. And fastened it under his clothes on the right thigh. He's left-handed. He's got to reach across. So he brought the tribute or the gift to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a a very fat man. Uh, The Latin Vulgate said he was a very rude man. Uh, the Syrian text says that he was a very uh, polite man. So you got some extremes here. But let me tell you what the Hebrew says. He was very plump. And you're going to see why right now. So the gift was brought. And when he had finished presenting the tribute or the gift, he sent away the people that had carried the tribute. 
It must have been a good-sized gift. And I, I like the judge here, Ehud. He says, I don't need you anymore. And he probably dismissed them in front of this king. And so this king started to like this guy. And then he brings him this enormous gift. In verse 19, but he himself turned back from the stone images, the rock quarries that were at Gilgal, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silent. And all who attend him uh, went out uh, from him. And so the thing is being set up here. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs uh, in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he rose up from his seat. And let me tell you something. The heathen nations always knew that God worked for Israel. So when they would hear a term like this, I mean, he's not lying. God had spoken to him what to do. And this is exactly what he's going to do. I have a message from God for you. And he rose up from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, took the dagger from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. Remember, he was very good in his left hand. He could use it. Even the hilt, and I'm going to translate, went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Uh, the hilt is the handle. It went all the way in. And I don't think I need to describe vividly the entrails, but he was gutted. In verse 23, then Ehud went and threw through the porch and shut the doors, of the upper room behind him, and he locked them. When he had done, gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, listen to the, uh, the door, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending uh, to his needs in the cool chamber. I'm going to give you the Hebrew translation. He's in the toilet. Let's leave him alone. You don't want to bug the king. Come on. He's probably, no, never mind. Verse 25. So they waited till they were embarrassed. Listen. And, and, and still, he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them. And there was their master fallen dead on the floor. Now, they, it was probably, this is for our translation, but there probably were not locks. And there were probably not keys, as we understand, but some type of uh, latch. And, and if you've ever seen a, a wooden type latch, and then you would put something that's thinner up and then just kick it out. Uh, you know, in the days when you guys were thieves, you would use a credit card. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, notice now that I, I can't get past that God's allowing all this. This was the command that was given to Ehud. In, in verse 26, but Ehud had escaped while they delayed and they passed beyond the stone images and uh, escaped to Sirah, uh, past the rock quarries again. And it happened when he arrived back to Israel or the camp uh, that they blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. Victory. Victory. Now, remember, the guys that helped bring the tribute or the gift, uh, they, they left. But I'm not positive that they went all the way back. They went far enough away to stay away. And then they hooked up eventually with Ehud. But now they're going back to the camp of Israel. And there... There's a time of celebration. Remember, they've been in bondage for several years now. In verse 28, so then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Now, Ehud has done his uh, part, and you're supposed to be listening to him. He's the judge at the time. 
What do you do? What do you do? Do you believe what this man's saying to you? You've been crying out to God. You have to trust the Lord. And sometimes when we trust God, nothing happens until we take that step. And then the next step. Sometimes we just sit and go, okay, God, take care of it. He wants your part. It's called faith. It's called faith. Study Hebrews chapter 11. Notice now, he says in verse 28, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him, seized the fords. Remember, we've given you translations. The fords of the Jordan leading to, to Moab and did not allow anyone to cross. The fords were the crossing places that were most likely the more shallow places of, of the Jordan. But that's where the enemies would cross. And so they had to have had those fortified somehow. And so the Israelites would have been waiting there. They have to cross through there. And because it was probably not very wide, they better not cross or they're going to get killed. In verse 29 now, and at that time they killed, listen to this, about 10,000 men of Moab and all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. I like what the New Living Translation says. Uh, they were able-bodied warriors. They weren't just anybody. But these were the cream of the crop. This was their elite forces, if you may. 10,000 of them. And God took them out for them. Interesting to me, as you study Israeli wars, as you study Israeli battles, even when they have rejected God. God is always for the nation of Israel. We see it today in the Middle East. I've, I've seen it. You've seen it. And this is why, listen to me, this is why they're so hated. And this is why, why do they want Jerusalem? Because it's the city of God. Why do they want Israel? Why do they want the nation? Because it's God's nation. Why do they hate the Jews? Because they're God's people. And just recently, there was a rabbi that was killed senselessly, and then they uh, closed the Temple Mount. Oh, my gosh. Right away, that's trouble. And then they reopened it. But it's still causing problems. And the prime minister is always giving in, but he said no more. Always trying, Israel has always tried uh, to give land away for peace, and it doesn't happen. And it's always amazing to me when you see, uh, you see the maps, and you see the nation of Israel, you have to look hard for it. Go on the back of your maps, if you have a study Bible, and you can see it. You have to... Focus and look for Israel. She's so tiny in comparison to all the other nations. And they hate her. They hate her with a passion. Not just in Israel, but even in the United States of America. And uh, various third world countries. Notice now. At verse 29 again. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men. Um, they were able-bodied warriors. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the hand had rest, uh, the land, excuse me, the land had rest, listen, 80 years. 80 years, that's two generations. 80 years, because as we've been studying the Old Testament, blessings, Blessings will come when we obey God. Uh, look at your own life. Look at my life. If I'm obeying God, uh, he's going to bless me. If you're obeying God, he's going to bless you. That doesn't mean uh, you won't go through trials. We go through trials. And it's to keep you in check. It's to keep me in check. It's to see, again, let's go back to that word, testing, to see how you're going to react. Because I've done it. 
Lord, why is this happening to me like I'm something special? Why is this happening? And you say, don't you know who I am? I'm me. Oh, come on, Lord. Why shouldn't he test you? Why shouldn't he test me? And now we come into the third judge, Shamgar. And we don't know much about Shamgar in Judges chapter, uh, chapter or verse, verse 31, excuse me. Uh, his Hebrew name means sword. But you're going to see that he was a short-term judge. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed, listen to what it says, 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. There's a passage in the, in the New Testament. Why do you kick against the goads? The goads were an apparatus that usually fit under the cart. And when the oxen backed up, they were sharp pointed, and he would hit himself, and then he would go back forward. But in the Old Testament, it was not only used as, uh, for, for farming, but it was also used for a weapon. And so the goads would have been made very very strong, made out of wood, very pointed. And as I was reading some insight on that, uh, they had like handles in the back. And obviously, this judge, Shamgar, he knew how to operate it. He knew how to fight. Now listen to me. I, I, I like to watch uh, martial art movies. I've always been intrigued by that. And if you look at some of the weaponry of the martial artists, uh, they're farming tools. And they had to learn how to defend themselves with farming tools because they didn't have weapons. But the farming tools were for taking care of the agriculture. And so think about this goad now. And he was able to, to slew uh, these 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. <laughs> uh, great, great battle of this man. That's all we know about him. That's all we know about him. And so now, ladies, we come into Deborah. She is a great judge. And so we're in Judges chapter 3 now, chapter 4. Deborah. Are you ready for this? Her name means wasp. She's a wasp. And I, some of you guys, I, I know a few of those. She's a wasp. But she's also a prophetess. Listen, she's a prophetess. And she'll prophesy and sting you at the same time. In verse 1, it says, When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel, again, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Same routine. Imagine after uh, two generations, 80 years, and they go back. Well, not, not one generation, but you, got, you have two generations. And it so quickly happens. Look how far our United States of America has come uh, to 230 years back. We were a God-fearing nation. We've always been a God-fearing nation. I, I love to see you know, World War II movies. I mean, we should have lost World War II, but we were a God-fearing people. We were a God-fearing people. And God went before us. God went before us. In verse 2, so the Lord sold him in the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, the command, uh, commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt and um, the two H's there. But you need to understand this. Disobedience brings curses. Disobedience brings chastening. And if we don't take heed to what God is doing, we don't listen. Disobedience, God will bring judgment. Judgment. 
curses, chastening, and then finally the judgment if we don't take heed. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lepidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Why did God go to a woman? I'm going to give you the answer. When there is no man available, listen, when there is no man available that God can trust, that God can put the anointing, the calling on him, then God will, and he has. He'll choose a woman. Deborah was a good judge. In verse 5, and she would sit under, uh, listen, uh, describes who she was, that they would name a tree after her. I like that. And, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah uh, between Ramah and Bethel and the mountains of Ephraim. And listen to this. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. She would deal with civil and military uh, judgments. Obviously to me, not only was she called, but there was much respect for this woman. The Old Testament would have been very hard when it comes to, you know, following a leader that was a woman. But it's obvious to me that God put the, the call on her. God put the anointing on her. Look what she does now. In verse 6, then she sent, she called uh, for Barak, uh, the son of uh, Abinoam, uh, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, he says, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, uh, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and, and the sons of Zebulun. Barak, listen, uh, his name in the Hebrew means lightning. And so was he swift? Was he fast? He was a military man. God uses him. In verse 7, and against you I will deploy uh, Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots. That's what made these people powerful. With his chariots and his multitudes at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And so Deborah is prophesying. Deborah is prophesying. I was reading some of my commentaries, and if you go back in history, and if you go back in the time of the judges, there was great rain at, these, at this time, where this river would have overflowed, and it made it impossible for the chariots to operate. Would God do that? Yes, he would. Notice now in verse 8, and Barak uh, said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I like this guy. Smart man. Or is there fear in his heart? This way he knows God is directing the battle. This shows me that Deborah was known for her wisdom of God, known for her anointing from God. Her calling was not challenged, but respected. Barak, you go, and I will go with you, she said. So he said, I will surely, verse 9, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, uh, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. He says, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Mark that down because it's going to come to pass. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. I'm going to read the same verse, verse 9, out of the New Living Translation, and it makes a lot of sense. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went uh, with Barak to Kadesh. <laughs> Interesting. There's a slight rebuke here. A slight rebuke. She's a prophetess. She can say what she needs to say because God has given it to her. But he's questioning. 
I won't go unless you go. Okay. I will go with you, but this is what's going to happen. Maybe he's thinking he's going to take some of the glory. Maybe he's thinking he's come back and children of Israel are going to hail him. And Barak called Ziblam and Naphtali to Kedesh, uh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command. And Deborah went up with him. What did God tell Jehoshaphat, remember? The battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. Israel was never a big army. Israel was always a, a small army. But their strength was in the Lord. And that's what the psalmist says. My strength cometh from the Lord. God is the one that does the strengthening. Now, remember the Kenites? Back in verse 11 now, now, Herber, uh, the Kenite, the children of, of uh, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, uh, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near uh, Tiberneth, uh, the Tiberneth tree near Zanaim, which is beside Kedesh. Remember, Moses' father-in-law was Jethro, and they were the Kenites. And so this is the family of them. In verse 12, and they reported to Sisera uh, that Barak, the son of uh, Abanem, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Now, th these people that were part of Israel for a time, uh, Jethro's kin, they became traitors. And, and they turned on Israel. They reported to Sisera. So Sisera gathered, look at verse 13, uh, together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him uh, from uh, Heresh, uh, Hagoim, and the river Kishron. Remember, the, the, the chariots were very important in these battles. A chariot would be the equivalent to us as, as, a, as a tank. And so to have a chariot... And these times were just incredible. Then Deborah said to uh, Barak, uh, he says, get up, for this is the day in which uh, the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. I love the obedience. I love the obedience. Whatever uh, the motive of Barak, you go with me, I'll go with you. I love the obedience. Because of God, he's going to do this. And the Lord routed Sisera. Listen to the word routed. Uh, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera uh, alightened uh, from his chariot and he fled away on foot. I want you to see the word routed. In the Hebrew, uh, there's two words that describe uh, they were routed. They were disturbed. Or this other word, I like the translation. Uh, they were destroyed. And that's exactly what God did. And again, let's go back to what we've been sharing all along. You obey God. You obey God and he's going to bless you. Oh, the trials will still be there. But if you obey, obey God, how can you go wrong? How can you go wrong? In verse 16, but Barak uh, pursued the chariot and the army as far as uh, Harish and uh, Hagium, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. If God be before us, who can be against us? Again, what's God looking for in my life? What is God looking for in your life? As I read the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, he wants obedience. He wants obedience. Remember uh, when you had uh, Mount Ebal and you had uh, Mount Gerizim, where the curses came and the blessings came? Why the curses? Because they were disobedient. Why the blessings? Because they were obedient. And that's the key. God wants to bless you. In verse 17, however, Sisera uh, fled away on foot, uh, to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, king of uh, Hazor, 
in the house of Heber, uh, the Kenite. Remember, these were the traitors. Ladies, you're going to love this woman. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when uh, he had turned aside with her into the tent, listen to what she did. She covered him with a blanket. How did she know to do all this? You see, news travels fast. And you knew that God was for his people. You knew uh, when they would repent. King David proved that. Before they would go to battle, he would go uh, to the temple and, and say, Lord, are you with us or are you against us? I'm not going to go out there without you. And so God was with them. The victory uh, took place. <laughs> Again, you're going to love this woman because she was, uh, she was pretty cool. Do not fear, she says. She's setting him up. Uh, then he said to her, please, uh, give me little water to drink, for I am thirsty. Remember, he's fled. He's been running. And so she opened a jug of milk. Uh, that's very important. He wanted water. She's given him the best. She's given him some cream and gave him a drink and then covered him. And now... He goes to sleep. Remember? Warm milk, you're going to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, listen to what happens here. In verse 20, And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you, he says, Say, uh, Is there any man here? You shall say, No. Then Jael Herber's wife uh, sent a tent peg, took a tent peg, and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg in his temple, and it went down into the ground. He ain't getting up. She whacked him good, for he was fast asleep and weary, tired. And so he died. Well, obviously he died. You know, this woman, I believe, heard the voice of God. She heard the voice of God, and she obeyed God. She knew that the other Kenites turned against Israel. Remember uh, when, uh, what was her name, the harlot in Jericho? Rahab. I forgot her name. See what happens when you get old? Rahab obeyed. Obeyed the voice of God. A simple strand. A simple strand. In verse 22, And then as Barak pursued Sisera, uh, Jael came out uh, to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead, with a peg in his temple. Don't forget the blanket, too. Is that the term, and he was nailed? No. Let's go. Verse 23. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Cana, uh, and the presence of the children of Israel. Victory. Victory unto the Lord. And it's a sweet revenge when you think about that. And the conclusion here, and the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of, uh, of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, uh, king of Cana. Interesting. One of my commentaries, uh, Adam Clark, he took verse 24 and he gave some insights on his own. I want, I want to read them to you. There's 10 of them. Listen to his statements. Number one, their peace between Jael and her family and the king of, of Canaan. There was peace there. That peace was no doubt made. 
as all transactions of, of the kind were with an oath, with a promise, even a sacrifice could have been made. Point three, Sisera, knowing this, came to her tent with the utmost confidence. See, because you're thinking, why did this guy believe her? And so the fourth point is made uh, by Clark. She met him with the most friendly greeting and assurance of safety. Point five, having asked for water to show her friendship and respect, uh, she gave him cream. And that is a vessel suitable uh, to his dignity. Much respect is showing. And so this is all good because it's taking him in. And point six, she put him in the secret part of her own tent and covered him in such a way as to, uh, as to evidence of her good faith and to inspire him uh, with a greater confidence. These are insights that uh, Adam Clark give, and some of these I just love. In verse 7, or point 7, she agreed to keep watch at the door and deny his being there uh, to any that might inquire. Point 8, as she gave him permission uh, to seek, uh, secret himself with her and gave, her, gave him refreshment, she was bound by the rules of the Asian hospitality to have defended his life even at the risk of her own life. And he knew this. Point 9, Notwithstanding, she took the advantage of his weariness and deep sleep, and she took away his life. Point 10, the last point, she ex ex exalted in, in her deed, met Barak, and showed him in triumph what she had done. She knew exactly what she was doing. She knew that the other Kenites uh, were in dis disobedience. She knew that her family had become traitors. And she had enough of God, miracle signs and wonders. Did she question him? Did the Spirit of the Lord come and speak to her? He could have done all that. But she made a choice. And God used that. <laughs> and Sisera... He thought he was safe. Man, she's even covering me. And she's giving me a milkshake. Wow. Took him out. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, again, uh, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of your precious word. And, Lord, uh, again, we, we, we see the, the process uh, of obedience brings blessings. A disobedience brings curses, brings chastening, and even to the point of judgment. And so, Lord, that we would take heed uh, to the teachings in the Old Testament. And so, Lord, go before us in everything that we desire to do. Bless our studies in the book of Judges. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.